Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. This is Vicker. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. So what are we doing? <laughs> well, yeah, usually well, I, guess... I usually uh, get here a little sooner to get orient orientated, get my uh, my wits about me, and I didn't do that. I just kind of rushed in and wiggled some cords behind the computer. <laughs> yeah, didn't bother your producer about that one right? at all. Kind of feeling like an old man today. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> that happened to you, Berg? You're still young. What am I talking every, about? Every day of my life. Dude, you know how this is how I know I'm getting older? So so I got a different car. I want to don't say a new car, although it's 10 years old. It it almost like feels new, doesn't it, Ficker? It's very it's very nice. Now, if you looked at my my studio, right? How would you describe the studio? This is probably as clean as it's been in a long time. You can walk around in here. Yeah. Right. But I got this new car that I've been keeping clean, which is odd for me, right? Yes. So, so do you know what I did, Berg? What's that? Uh, it's got it's got leather seats. Oh right? man! And uh, I saw a YouTube video at home uh, about caring for the leather seat so it stays nice. Okay. All right. And I made my wife watch a part with me, where he gave instructions of how to sit down and get up from the leather seats to maintain the leather. <laughs> well, that's certainly family bonding time, I would say. Yes. He said, you don't want to slide in. You want to get a pivot point, sit in, reach your legs over without sliding, and then set yourself in the seat. All right. So let me break down, okay? Listener, you've just heard Bullhagen say what he's just said, okay? I want you to break. I want. Let me break down what's going on in his head as he has learned this information and shown his wife this. This will run through his head every single time he gets in or out of his vehicle or anybody else gets in or out of his vehicle. And in about a month, he won't know why, but he will do it. Mm -hmm. He won't tell anybody else to do it anymore, but he's going to think it and just kind of wince a little bit internally every time somebody gets into his car the wrong way. And by the way, this also happened within the last few weeks. Uh, my son's car, he has an old an old Grand Marquis that he has a different car now. And uh, um, he mentioned, uh, oh, yeah, but the handle was broke. It's not on the inside of the door to close and open the, the door, right? The leather strap to pull it closed. And uh, I didn't realize that I had driven the car like five times without really thinking about the handle not being there, getting out of the car. And in the car. But yet, I'm watching videos on how to sit down in leather seats. And by the way, uh, uh, Mrs. Bullhagen was not having it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she couldn't She couldn't do it anyway. She Her legs are too short. Right. <laughs> right, that's not something you want to tell your wife, you know, just don't plop down in the seats, baby. <laughs> <laughs> just pivot. And welcome to the section of marriage counseling. Marriage and, counseling. Uh, mar and marriage and and uh matrimonial advice, right? Yes. I, I can though uh unequivocally say that looking up how to care for your leather seats in your car and how to sit down properly is for sure the oldest person thing you've ever done. I actually I can't think of a, a single thing. <laughs> right. And, and no no joke. Uh, while I was doing, this is a dichotomy that I live, Peter, right? W while the same day, uh, that I watched that video with my wife to help her cause I'm about love, right? Helping her. Um, <laughs> I, I had just been to the, the, the pool for the third time over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> cause How I like going down the, the slide. yellow slide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So do you have to I, pivot I do, in there too, or or is that more of a slide? Okay, now motion? yeah, that's a slide motion. Now, now uh, if you want to to skim across, because it's a speed side, I don't do the curvy one. That's not enough action for me. I like the speed. I like 
flinging myself down uh, the slide, getting some good speed, and then skipping at the top, okay? So what you want to do is, uh, uh, not only is there like for getting into sitting in a leather seat, right? For, for going down the slide, what you want to do is right before you hit the water, okay? You want to sit up a little bit. You want to lift your feet so your feet don't drag you behind and slow you down. And you want to do a little bit of a clinch so that you just skim across the top. Now, Bullhagen, yes. why is the clinch important? Uh... <laughs> So you say so you got like a nice, smooth, aerodynamic hitting of the water. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Berg, you're quiet. What's going on? I don't even know what to, I don't know what to do with this man, so I'm glad. <laughs> and by the way, not only did I like that, Peter's drinking now, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's become a party is uh, one of the times I was at the pool, there's a, uh, like a group of middle school boys and they, they looked at me and they said, hey, how much you bench? <laughs> so, yeah, it was a good did weekend. You, did, did, did you say more than you weigh? Uh, I said, for, I asked them for reps or like total weight because actually that's something that made me feel old today or this week too is uh, my having my son rip off like seven reps at 275 on the bench press. <laughs> yeah. Your little young brother, Peter. A beast. The young man is a beast. So, Berg, what you drinking? Oh, cool. That's neat. What about you, Vicar? What do you got? <laughs> uh, I've got Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, very good. Bullhagen? Uh, I have uh, Belle of a bold cherry lime sparkling water. I'm still, I'm hoping to hit the freak factory. I only got a half workout in yesterday because I was training this young man. Oh, we get, we got to get going then. We don't have much time. That will get it done. Is Berg with us? I am. Okay. Hey. I'm drinking Berg. a Kirkland sparkling water lemon. So, oh, uh, okay. Kirkland. That's a, I love Costco. That's my new thing. Indeed. As if I didn't sound old enough, right? What do you old men like? Yeah, you know what? I take it back. Yeah, the fact that you you, <laughs> you and mom go to uh, Costco as a family outing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's like, there's nothing to do. I don't I'm go bored. To... You want to go to Costco? <laughs> yeah, it's an hour and 15 minute drive, but I mean. Yeah, the closest one here is like four and a half hours away. Well, that's even closer than a Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> No, Riverton has a Walmart. It's okay. only like 30 minutes, so. We should right, talk we should about some the theology or something. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Vicar, uh, what is the gospel reading for, for us? It is uh, from Luke chapter 17. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Ah, uh, yes. Another uh, text where we get to talk about a Samaritan, right? Yeah. Huh. Uh, uh, Berg, do you have any comments on this before I talk about it? Um, I guess the two words that really stuck out to me uh, where the, was this term master, which is epistata, and it's only used in Luke. Hmm. Very, very interesting term, which seems to kind of wrap up into itself rabbi and teacher uh, with a little bit more meaning in that, like almost a leader of an athletic club or uh, a leader for um, the choir in in the temple, that kind of stuff. 
So it was really kind of an interesting term to to think about, and it's only used in the Gospel of Luke, which is really kind of a neat thing. So uh, the second term was this term uh, foreigner, which is let's see here, uh, allogenes, which means it literally means someone of a, of another race or another genesis, and uh, I think that's kind of an interesting term you can play off of that um because especially in this time of polarization you know we tend to either minimize people's differences or exacerbate them to the point where they are simply the enemy uh here jesus recognizes the distinctiveness of the samaritan he doesn't say that he's the same as the other nine and yet what how does he end this your faith has saved you and so I think this is kind of an interesting way to talk about, okay, how does the church deal with uh, peoples of different cultures, um, languages, and the like? Well, um, they're certainly not Germans, and they're certainly not, you know, Americans, and and yet what saves them, it is faith. And, and to a certain degree, I think this is a second one in uh, reading in a row where it seems as though the Samaritan comes with a lot less baggage. <laughs> Meaning, uh, for the last one, uh, the good Samaritan, uh, the lawyer who came to Jesus asking, uh, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, he kind of had a lot of baggage in answering that. He was kind of stuck in a, a certain mold. Along with, as he told the parable, the priest and the Levite who passed by on the other side of the road came to that situation with a certain amount of baggage. They couldn't hear and understand what was going on, and it kind of clouded them and their ability to actually be a good neighbor. And uh, I wonder if that's going on a little bit here as a Samaritan comes to Jesus uh, and Jesus comments on his faith. Uh, there's a lot of a Samaritan is not someone that you would expect to have a lot of faith. Uh, they're kind of looked down on. They were kind of half-Jews. Um, they uh, they had a different understanding of the temple and all these things. So, um, And yet, uh, he is the one who is able to recognize who Jesus is and uh, where his healing actually came from. So, you know, yeah, I, I, th I think that almost means he has more baggage because he had less Bible. The Bible he did have, the, Samar the Samaritan Pentateuch was corrupted. They had a temple on Mount Gerizim that was destroyed by the Jews, which led to this, this hatred and rivalry between Samaritans and Jews. Um, and yet, what is where does Jesus tell him to go? To the very place that he hates, right? The Jerusalem temple, filled with all of these hypocritical priests who... Uh, added more to the Bible, right? Yeah, well, it, I, I would I would kind of describe it this way, though, is uh, uh, I'll use a vicar as an example, okay? Which is kind of my go-to, right? When in doubt, use a vicar as an example. Um, he's the second vicar in a row that at one point was Pentecostal. <clears throat> so I'm not sharing uh, anything that you were trying to hide. No, not at all. All right? Now you were young. Yeah, but, but Patrick was more, re, you know, later up until later in life was uh, 19.0, if you don't know his name. Um, and to, I think that there is uh, a, a greater appreciation for what they have and have seen in the gospel that made a large impression on them for them to think about the, the clarity of the gospel. So... But regardless, yeah. but regardless, I, it, it is. I think it's more, less about gratitude and more about faith, uh, which is why you know in a couple of months when we have Thanksgiving and this reading comes up, uh, which is oftentimes the gospel reading for Thanksgiving, <clears throat> um, it's good to be thankful. But actually, at the heart of thankfulness is realizing where what you have comes from. It's not from. Uh, uh, I can imagine the other nine probably thought, all right, we had the right strategy. We found the right guy. Uh, we did it. And uh, the Samaritan, no, actually, Christ did it. So. Uh, Berg, what is the missile? What missile? Is there a missile from the Lutheran Missile Project 
that you would like to point out from this text? Ah, uh, there's a couple. There's one from Mark one forty through forty five for Wednesday, and then from Luke twelve thirteen to twenty four for the Friday. I think the Friday actually fits much better with the this text, even though um, Mark one forty through forty five has him dealing with another leper. Um, I think Luke twelve thirteen through twenty four um, shows the problem with the um, with the other nine and brings that to the for to the forefront. So, um, and this is the parable of the rich fool and do not worry. So, um, then one from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouses nor barns, but and yet God feeds them. Of much more value are you, of how much more value are you than the birds? So, uh, in relating that to the other nine, are you saying that uh, they're more concerned about the physical healing uh, than what they truly needed? Yeah, uh, I think this text brings out that they're not rich toward God. That God has given them great abundance in giving them physical life. And I would go even farther, if I were preaching on this text, I'd go even farther and say, um, life is more than food. And, you know, the body was more than clothing. I would go even further and say, life is more than the body. Hmm. Life is more than the body. Because here these guys receive their bodies back, and yet they, like the rich man, are going to have their souls required of them. And then whose life will it be, right? They're going to lose yeah. this anyways. They sought to save their lives, and they're going to lose them. And so they didn't focus on on the real thing, on the true thing. And so I would say that, you know, life is more than the body. Uh, life is faith, right? Mm -hmm. Life is faith because... The ravens neither sow, sow nor reap. Why? Well, because they have faith. God feeds them. And if we are more valuable than they are, well, then maybe we should actually, like, I don't know, live like it. This is why Jesus uh, lifts up the faith of a child and says things like, anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven must receive it like a little child. A child also receives everything by, by grace, like the birds. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing is we often like this man who comes to Jesus. We want the church to be a judge and an arbiter. We want him to tell us, well, you have to divide the inheritance this way or that way. Jesus doesn't do that because that's not Jesus job. That's the civil authorities job to do that. That's why we have the different estates. What is what is the ecclesiastical estates job? Well, it's to warn against sin and to talk about righteousness. And that's why Jesus then warns against covetousness, this sort of sinful desiring for the things that God has not actually given you. I don't think uh, we always realize just how radical that actually is, because, I mean, our whole life that we know is our bodies, right? We spend we spend mm -hmm. a lot of our time wondering, oh, how 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 do I feel? How am I doing today? You know, what did I have for breakfast? How do well did I sleep? And if we didn't worry about enough, we have oh, I have a watch that uh, that keeps track of all those things. So on your cell phone, you can see how well you're doing with your sleep and with your heart rate and all those things. Uh, and everything in our life is about you know staying alive, and and uh, uh, we lose uh, we lose uh, track uh, of that. Uh. <laughs> Do you know what's funny about that song? I had a that that song. I had a theory that that song always made someone's walk look cool. 
So on a nice day, I don't know if I ever did this with you. Did I I do this with you? Where on a sunny day when a lot of walkers are going walking around outside, I would put that on my car stereo and like test my theory out with the kids in the car. It worked. (laughs) Remember that, Pete? Uh, We maybe did it once or twice, yeah. All right. I think we're ready to move on. (laughs) Hey, you know what, Peter? Could you do me a favor? Uh, Could you, uh, you know, last time I was bothered, and I I just feel like to balance things out, we got to bother Berg again. Do you think you can find a quick news that bothers Berg while I talk about closed communion? Uh, Or do you have something? Do you have anything in mind? Hmm. I don't know. He's been so so hard to bother lately. It's annoying. He's just been so like even keel. It's like, are you okay, Berg? <laughs> oh, I am. Okay. It's like, what's going on? Where's my angry Berg? <laughs> yep. This is what happens when you get old. That's tr- well. Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting grumpy. I'm getting grumpy. See, I'm going the other way, so... Anyway, anyway, uh, yeah, close communion. How about that? Um, (laughs) Peter, play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. All right. So where did I leave off last time, Vicar? Ten Commandments. I I don't remember. Yeah, you were talking about the Ten Commandments. I don't remember which point you were talking about. All right. Do you remember what close communion means, Vicar? Do I remember what it means? Yes. Well, I know what it means, yes. Okay, what does it mean? Closed communion means that uh, we do not uh, allow those who are outside of our confession of faith to partake of the Lord's Supper because they end up professing uh, the same confession that we do and uh, we make them a liar when they don't hold to that confession. Okay, good answer. So uh, I've got my list here. Uh, so, uh, what it is, um, this must be the wrong list because what do you have against ice? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, let's check out this list here. Uh, uh, why Fort Wayne? That's the wrong list. All right. Uh, okay. What it is. What it is. Well, didn't we make it through what it is? Uh, no, I think, so I got, uh, um, uh, I talked about uh, upholding God's word. It's not necessarily something your your pastor loves upholding, like gives him big joy. We talked about that. Uh, uh, something a pastor by oath upholds in our, our, the ordination vows to administer the sacraments according to God's word. Uh, the Lord's Supper reflects true unity that we have in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, I have something that younger full folks are seem to be more cool with, right? Uh, and, uh, so whilst is close communion is also examining yourself. And what I mean by that is, is, uh, it doesn't make any sense, uh, to say, I believe in close communion and then not actually examine yourself before receiving the Lord's supper, because that's kind of the point is, uh, is the fact that part of close communion is, is to receive it rightly examining yourself. And if you are not doing that, uh, and the, th- the things we pointed to last time when it comes to examining ourselves is uh, uh, sorry for your sin, sorrow over your sin, uh, desire uh, to change your sinful life in belief uh, that uh, the body and blood is given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so if you uh, are going to the Lord's Supper without actually examining yourself according to the Ten Commandments, if you are are not showing sorrow over your sin and desire to change, if you don't actually believe you're receiving the body and blood, this is the one thing that most, a lot of people don't realize, Vicar, is uh, if you're if you're talking to someone, their knee-jerk reaction is, is kind of like, uh, like Christmas or Santa Claus or something like this. And what I mean by that is if someone says, oh yeah, uh, if, if someone doesn't go to the Lord's Supper, uh, and they say, well, I'm going up because, you know, grandma wants me to take communion with her. I don't believe that I am actually receiving the body and blood for the forgiveness of my sins. 
Uh, I ask, so if they go to the Lord's Supper without believing that they receive the body and blood of Jesus, are they receiving the body and blood of Jesus? The answer is yes. What's the, what's the problem? It is not. It's to their discipline, to their judgment, and not for uh, the strengthening of their faith, for the forgiveness of sins. And that's something I think everyone has a, a knee-jerk reaction to. Kind of like uh, one of the worst movies I ever saw uh, was uh, this is this is gonna give scars to Peter because he didn't like that movie. They make my stomach cold. Oh, sorry, I got got, <laughs> got a text. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Mister Magorium's Wonder Emporium, where like <laughs> if you believe the toys will come back to life, you know, um. And it's all the benefits are predicated on faith that you are given by the Holy Spirit, and if you part of the Lord's Supper is uh, examining yourself so that the old Adam is buried, and and you're desiring to change, um, and so what I'm getting to say around to saying is, is it's important to also examine yourself as everyone uh, should be doing before the reception of the Lord's Supper. And close communion is is a part of that. If you don't know the Ten Commandments, can you examine yourself? No. So, anything you'd like to add to that, Berg? Nope. You did a good job. All right. Uh, number six on my list here of what it is. It, it is uh, an expression... And the close communion is an expression that our confession matters. We confess matters. Okay. One of the Bible verses I teach the little ones at the at the, the daycare preschool next door is, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Just as scripture says, anyone who puts their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Now, as you examine that passage, there are two things that it speaks of your heart and your mouth that confesses. And the reason why that's important is uh, our lives are, are both. We have faith and that we, we have a confession. And the purpose of the confession is, is a recognition that um, what's in my heart fails all the time. And a confession of faith, not only the personal confession of faith, but being part of a confession, uh, for example, in the confirmation vow, um, you are confessing that I, I, I would like to stay in this confession because I know my own, what's in my heart will try and pull me away from it. And it is a common confession uh, that we subscribe to that helps keep us in God's word, hearing God's word, and properly distinguishing law and gospel and applying it and, and all those things. And what happens is when it comes to close communion is uh, one of the biggest uh, arguments that the people have is, how, who are you to judge my personal faith? We can't really do that very well. But what can we judge? <laughs> the confession. And it, it, uh, the best example that I, I come, I think of this when it comes to that is, okay, is uh, a young couple, Vicar. Imagine a young couple. Okay. Yeah, you were one once, right? Imagine uh, the the young man expressing to the young lady. Now, this is getting antiquated nowadays because uh, I doubt outside of uh, most circles in our country, this conversation does not happen. <laughs> But this is my old man speaking through. Uh, but uh, but the, the the boy saying to the girl, but baby, I love you. I love you so much. So we should have physical relations. I don't think they would word it that way. Does that make me sound old, Peter? No, it makes you sound like a pastor. Okay. <laughs> and And properly speaking, what should the woman say? I don't judge. I don't doubt the fact that you love me. Maybe you do. I'm worried about your public confession <laughs> in marriage. And uh, so when someone says, "Oh, I believe," because most people, because they don't really think about communion, a lot of times 
uh, someone who's Baptist or Methodist can come in and say, and you can ask them, well, do you believe you receive the, the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? 50% of the time they'd say, oh yeah, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> well, then why isn't, if that's truly what you believe, why is it not part of your confession? You may believe it at this moment, but do you confess it? And by confessing it, part of that is your church membership. So that, that's, a, that's a good example I often use uh, with that is, is it's not just how you feel that day in that moment, but what you confess also is. Because very often you see this where someone's personal confession, a personal faith, is at odds with their church's confession. Uh, you hear this a lot of times where someone says, well, I don't, I don't agree with the decisions that my church body has made. Uh, and so, I, so my, I'm, I'm, but it's the, I'm going to know in my heart what is true and I'm going to still make this my public confession. That incongruity does not last very long. At some point, something's going to give. And in that case, very often, more often than not, the personal belief falls in line with what that whatever that public confession is. We see that also in the Lutheran church many times where people will say, I know this is true, and then you ask them to explain it, and they can't. <laughs> well, their personal belief is actually formed by the church's confession, and they might have trouble wording why it is, but they know it's their confession because their belief was informed by. Now, they should learn that, and they should know it, uh, yet at the same time, uh, uh, especially when it comes to if you're being faithful and active in that church and hearing God's word, the, the personal faith falls in line with what the confession is. And Martin Luther knew this very well. This is why these type of things were important. This is why he, he uh, wanted hymnody that spoke strong confessional statements because it wasn't gonna inf- was going to inform the personal belief. And, and when it comes to close communion, uh, your confession matters. And so that's, that is one aspect I think that people don't always realize is that distinction that we find St. Paul teaching us with your heart and with your mouth that you confess. Both, both are important. All right. So along, by the way, along that, that, that note, Vicar, uh, um, you can kind of use that sometimes too, when someone wants to come to the Lord's table is is saying, okay, now you want to come to the Lord's Supper, and if it's someone who generally um, is upset about close communion, right, and they'll say, well, and, and you know that, then generally there are other topics that are upset about, right? So uh, uh, do you, what you can ask, well, what, by the way, when you come to the Lord's Supper here, you would make everyone be assuming that you are making a public confession about that you don't think women should be pastors. Well, I don't want to make that confession. <laughs> you know, all those things where you, you can kind of pick up what kind of things would bother them and say, well, everyone here will understand that coming to the Lord's table, you're, you're making a confession saying, this is what I believe. Well, I don't believe that. And, and sometimes they'll actually say, thank you, pastor. <laughs> I didn't want to make a false confession in their minds. Have you ever had that happen, Berg? No, usually people are just mad at me, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I actually found that that, ever, that ha- a, a, a decent amount of time uh, that have been convincing to people. Well, it puts the ball back in their court because instead of having to defend what you believe, you kind of put it on them of, well, this is a public profession of what you believe now. And so if they disagree with that, well, they kind of have to deal with it instead of attacking you for being a big meanie. And if they say, well, well, yeah, I am in line with all those things, then it gives you a chance. Then, well, then why isn't your, it your Yeah, it gets your foot in the door to actually talk about why these things are important and possibly get them to come more often. All right. So number, I guess I don't have numbers. The next one. (laughs) Uh, St. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that this directly reflects the health of a church. Uh, do you remember what that part of that is where Jesus or Paul says, this is why 
many have sick, and many have fallen asleep. Uh, he relates the very health of that congregation at the beginning of that discussion on the Lord's Supper when when uh, they were kind of using it as a hierarchical thing where people were getting drunk and some were not getting any and all those things. And uh, they're bringing disunity to the Lord's table. Um, and also, when people were not examining themselves, uh, Paul talks about the very health of the congregation was reflected and what they were doing with the Lord's Supper. So, another thing of what of what close communion is, and that is, um, it is a way a church is showing concern and care for your family. Uh, and and this is often where you you see you come in at odds with this is is uh it's not always easy for families to have that discussion <laughs> and when a pastor or a church makes that confession of, of close communion they're actually showing concern for your loved ones and it may not feel that way and it may have make families have difficult discussions but that's what it really is and and I think for for faithful Lutherans, they need to bear that in mind. Um, and it's very helpful for the, the, the health of the church and for the working of the church and for the pastor himself and for the entire situation is if uh, when you bring a guest or someone in your family, if the, the discussion happens at that level, because it, it, they one, they trust you more because they know you if it's a family or a friend they know generally that they have your best interest in mind they come as a visitor they don't know the pastor they don't know the church uh they're not going to hear the same words that they would from someone that they know and care about and the close communion actually helps that discussion occur sometimes okay so, for example, if if you ever vicar want to make your supervisor upset, is having family and friends uh, join you because they want to hear their 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 loved one preach on a Sunday, and then they come to me asking for communion without talking you talking to them, vicar. Yeah, that sounds like a really bad situation. Right. Then I'm, maybe it's happened before, <laughs> but. If you're a vicar and you expect to be able to explain this to people and you can't to your own, your own, that's an issue. <laughs> well, luckily for me, all my family is LCMS Lutheran, so. Oh, well, there you go. Um, but it is the church actually showing care because we don't want to confirm sin. Definitely. And we want uh, people to repent and we wanted them to know that our the confession matters, and it is not caring for that your loved one that you want to come to church with you, or if you're someone a guest who wants you you want to come to church. Very rarely has that ever been an issue if they come to the church with an honest heart, wanting to learn about what the faith is. If to say, uh, very rarely is it okay. Uh, you're not, you're not, I want you to learn what you're doing before you take communion because it's a very serious thing. And more often than not, if they're interested in learning on the faith, that very rarely is an issue. Yeah. And as well, um, if you have people interested in coming on a Sunday morning who might be family members, if you don't talk about that beforehand, um, you could end up needlessly scandalizing them because this, this may be a legitimate sticking point for them that they would need a, uh, uh, work through. Um, but if they just go on Sunday morning without having talked to it beforehand, um, you're in a public setting. It can feel embarrassing, I'm sure, for the person receiving the instruction that they can't take the Lord's Supper. And it could put a really bad taste in their mouth. And so uh, by not having that conversation, you could uh, needlessly be uh, upsetting people and pushing them away. Right. And this is why the, the understanding this is very important for the member. Because if if a member is of that who's bringing someone along to church, 
if they don't understand it and they don't like it and they give any impression that they're offended by this doctrine and this teaching too, it's just going to spill over. If, if the loved one is, this is what we believe, and is able to explain to a certain degree why and show that it's a care for God's word and for them, it, 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 it helps everything go more smoothly. If, if, and, and so uh, the, you can be a very much of a calming voice in all that. But if everyone's offended and they say, oh, it's the pastor's fault or the church's fault or you're that kind of Lutheran, and then you, you, you are doing great harm, to the person that you want to bring to church. Absolutely. So it's important to be willing, one, to, to understand this teaching, close communion. And, and we've talked about some of that already, uh, the, the importance of having a, a common confession, not bringing divisions to the Lord's table, of uh, uh, knowing how to examine yourself. And, it's not, and also that our faith is not just what we have in our hearts, but our public confession. All those things certainly can lead lead the way, but uh, you got to be willing to, and it's honorable to to be able to talk to to those you bring to church, and not just pin it on a pastor or an elder or something, because you don't want to have that difficult discussion. They will take it way better from you as their loved one than they would the pastor, or than they would an elder, or they would from a communion card. So. Uh, any comments, Berg? You're you're so I'm not not used to being so you being so quiet in these these heavy discussions. Nope, you're doing good. Keep it up. <laughs> okay, all right. So uh, I, that is the end of my what it is list. Is there something you would like to add? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. So wow, I stumped him. All right, how about you, Vicar? I think you said pretty much all that there is to be said about it. How about you, Peter? <laughs> Man, I've just been trying to find a news at Bothersburg. I did find one, by the way. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, what it ain't. What it ain't. The Lord's Supper isn't just between you and God. What do I mean by that? Because that's what, how people... Th- you are making a statement of where I stand before God. And sometimes that is a case when you're dealing with your own member with excommunication. Right? Uh, but this is, uh, by not giving communion to someone who is a different confession, you are not saying we're doing this because you are condemned. You're doing that because you don't want to condemn them, rather. Yes. Now, you might do that because they're not Christian, right? Um, but but that, that our goal, our, our job as a pastor is not to stand there and you know, uh, you know, I am the pastor of my people. I'm not the pastor of everyone. And, uh, and so that's not my job. That's the job of your pastor. I'm not your pastor. Um, well, God ordained or Jesus ordained the ministry to, uh, specific people who carry out his ministry for him. And so, uh, you should be a part of those who have been ordained into that ministry. You can't just go off rogue without the church. And that happens also when it comes to baptism as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So an- another what it ain't. Uh, okay, it ain't just an LCMS litmus test. <laughs> do you understand what I mean by that, Berg? I do. What do I mean by that? It's not just simply a shibboleth saying you're one of us and we hate everybody else. Right. Right. And and it's the Eastern, also important. The, the, the Eastern Orthodox do this. The Roman Catholics do this. Um, yeah. There, there are plenty of people who, who, who practice closed communion. Really, yes. I think up until like the 19th century, people pretty much practice closed communion. Like even the old um, revivalistic tent meeting things that got started, they were originally communion meetings. And what happened was is you got your little communion token, and that showed that you could actually go to the Lord's Supper. I mean, that is a form of closed communion, because that meant you couldn't commune without the token. Okay. Right? Uh, so, yeah. 
Yeah, and and in another way, I kind of meant that also. This LCMS litmus test is. Well, I am a card-carrying LCMS Lutheran. You know, we also care about guests who come on whether they still understand what they're receiving. Now, generally, if someone comes in and they say, uh, I would like to take the Lord's Supper, I am a member in good standing at such and such congregation, generally I don't have to ask a lot of questions because the mere fact that they came to talk to me and ask and let me know shows that there's some understanding about what they're doing. Um, but sometimes what, what people... I, what I don't like is the demand as if their LCMS membership, uh, obligates us to commune them. It's like, you know, you could be a little polite when you come into a new church. Right. And say, I would like the Lord's supper, please. Rather than, right. Oh, I'm taking the Lord's supper today. Oh, really? Do I walk into yeah. somebody's house and start demanding things? Or, I mean, you're a get. <laughs> so, like, just etiquette stuff, guys. When you go to a new church, talk to the pastor beforehand because that is the right thing to do. And secondly, don't don't demand it of him. First of all, he's not your pastor, and secondly, you're in his house, right? Mm-hmm. So, be polite, right? Ask. Yeah, and- and this is something I, th- I don't think we're always clear on in the LCMS. I think this is something you might like to talk about, Berg, because I know you. Um, and that is, I think there's often confusion on the Lord's Supper at, like, mass events. Like, who's the presiding pastor? Like, who is who is the pastor? Who are the sheep? Don't you think there's some confusion with that? Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a—gets to be kind of a sticky situation. I mean— Especially, I, you look at some of like the Texas stuff that's going on right now. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that. No, uh, with the university. With the university, because I know mm-hmm. the I know the convention called them to repentance, but it sounds like they're going their own way, and they're now. Uh, I was reading Facebook, and it was um, oh, um, oh, what's his name? Bob, at the seminary, Bob something. Bob Smith. Bob Smith posted um, something about how the LCMS was now the the plaintiff taking you know these uh, these people to court, and there's been some big you know um, talk about that, right? Well, um, this is actually one of the issues, right? Because these guys have actually uh, taken Senate property that has been entrusted to them for the uh, spiritual education of our people. And now they're trying to go away from the Senate. They're basically trying to steal the church's money and property. So should we commune with people like that? Especially in a time when you know in the convention they're being called to repentance. That right. to me seems like a very that to me seems like a very bad precedent to set. So besides all the facts of okay, um, uh, unfortunately, in the in the Missouri Senate, we're not as united on doctrine as as we would like to be. And so, who's actually doing oversight there? Right. Yeah. I I, I just because you know, I because we I think we we think well as long as there's like ordained people that are handing it out, <laughs> but they know anybody who's coming. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> <Anybody>? especially <laughs> well, and especially like when you have issues of. This magnitude, because that's what Senate convention is for. I mean, it's to deal with the hard things, the things that are actually dividing the Senate, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I do. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that we are all, as First Corinthians says, of one mind and one heart, right? That there should be no divisions among us. But we still live in this world. We're still sinners. There are still divisions. And to me, it doesn't seem very wise and prudent that if at a Senate convention, you're going to call people to repentance, that you then invite the the people that you're calling to repentance who haven't repented yet up to the Lord's table. Yes, so, because that... <laughs> I mean, you know, that... So yeah, that does seem kind of problematic to me, so... But you know, this is why I'm... This is why I, I don't get paid the big bucks. <laughs> I, I just sit in the cheap seats and, you know... <laughs> so... Uh, another thing uh, 
that I would say it isn't, ain't, almost did it again, Peter, is, uh, it, oh, it's going to be a double negative. It ain't inconsistent with our confession of the Lord's Supper. So that would, <laughs> that would go with the first one, right? It is consistent with what the Lord's Supper is. So we've already been there through that. Well, and um, I mean, let's just be honest. Everybody practices some form that I know of, practices some form of closed communion. Even those who would give it out, okay? Um, because like a lot of Baptists, aren't, they're not going to commune babies, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to commune people who are insane, right? Right. I mean, so we we everybody does have some sort of standard of, you know, of closed communion. The question that we're discussing here is how closed is it actually? So this is what right. makes them really, I mean, it really makes it pretty hypocritical in a lot of ways because I don't see people running around, you know, shoving the host down babies' throats or drowning an insane person, you know, <laughs> With, with the I mean, blood there of Christ are who are kind of leaning that way. <laughs> yeah. Hoofed up. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like I said, like there's there are limits, right? Yes. And almost everybody that I know has practices some form of closed communion. They just don't even think about it in that way. The only people uh, that I can think of that probably have the most open table ever are the ELCA. And we can talk about that if uh, if this doesn't make one of your what it ain't lists. So, Okay, that, that would be one where I would say there is an inconsistency. Because if your confession is that you receive the very body and blood of Christ, how can it be then wide open to anyone... Who receives it? There is that is a inconsistency. Well, do you want me to go into it? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so what it ain't? Uh, the Lord's Supper ain't Jesus hanging out at meals talking with sinners. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean this is actually a very very important thing, right? Because uh, some ELCA theologians they say, well. Um, because of historical criticism, we can't say that the Lord's Supper actually happened. So what do they base their doctrine of the Lord's Supper on? Well, they base it on Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners and talking with them. And so for, for them, the Lord's Supper becomes this, uh, this, this missionary activity to bring gross and notorious sinners to Christ. Which is why I've even seen some ELCA theologians say that we should actually delay baptisms, uh, but commune even younger and to atheists and uh, unbelievers and the like. Because if that's your basis of the Lord's Supper, table fellowship, right? If that's your basis of the Lord's Supper, what Jesus did with um, with uh, the sinners and the tax collectors, right? And that's what the Pharisees, and that's why they'll call us Pharisees, Right. Because that's mm-hmm. exactly what the Pharisee said. Well, you know, you won't invite these people to the Lord's suppers just because you're a Pharisee, right? Yeah, that's what they did, right? Um, but that's not true because the Lord's supper is not based on those dinner conversations that Jesus had with tax collectors and sinners. That's what that was preaching. Jesus talked to them. He spoke with them. He taught them about the love of God. He talked to them about their sin. Um, this is no different than than if I go to the bar and have a beer and end up talking to people about the faith. We should be talking about the gospel to all people at all times. That's exactly yeah, what it, that teaches. And when, but the Lord's Supper Jesus, is different. And when, when Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, the great charge, he eats with sinners, right? He was doing so for the forgiveness of sins. He was calling them re- to repent, repentance. They were the ones that rejoiced in the forgiveness of their sins not confirming them in their sins. And this is why, who does he take to the Lord's Supper that we know about? There might have been others there, but we're not sure. It's really just well, his Judas. 12. Well, it's just his 12 <laughs> disciples, right? Well, and Judas too. But that also shows us that uh, 
uh, we cannot see into the hearts of others, right? We go by their confessions, right? Right. And Judas, to all, to all uh, uh, purposes of appearance, uh, appears to be one of them, right? The disciples don't think anything of when Jesus says, what you are going to do, do quickly. Uh, he doesn't think it. They don't think anything that he's going to go betray Jesus. There's no indication of that. They think he's going to go get something for the feast or whatever, right? Right. So that's the thing. I mean, that actually strengthens uh, our our uh, endorsement of closed communion because, once again, it goes back to confession, right? Mm-hmm. And not to judging hearts. Um, and and yeah. by the way, con- when we talk about confession, too, we're not just talking about the confession you made when you were 13 years old. <laughs> right. Vicar, do you, do you know what I mean by that? I think so. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, like let's say you're 67 years old and you've been Methodist for 50 years, uh, and you say, "Well, I was confirmed at that church." Well, your life confirms otherwise. Yes, yes. At one point, that was your confession. It was you using the same example that we talked about with a, a young man and his his beloved. Right. Well. I know we divorced, but, you know, you did promise. <laughs> so that that would be one thing that I would uh, bring up that, you know, if someone ever tries to bring that up to our listeners that, well, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. It's like not the same kind of eating. In fact, this actually goes, what did Jesus eat? When did he institute the Lord's Supper? Passover. Uh, who could eat Passover? Those who were circumcised. So at the very least, you have to say that a person must be baptized in order to receive the Lord's Supper. At the very least, that's what you say. I think we've made some pretty good arguments that um, that it's much more closed than that. But uh, you know, right? And, and to not, and to 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 reiterate that this teaching, I want to make sure we make a strong point that this is biblical. First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, because we go by Jesus' words and his apostles who spoke Jesus' words. When when Paul uh, talks about the Lord's Supper and defines it and how we receive it, what does he do? He goes back to what Jesus himself said, um, and uh, using the the whole discussion that the Apostle Paul makes in First Corinthians chapter eleven about one, bringing divisions to the church. And uh, he does actually condemn uh, the church for not giving communion to those who needed it, much like the the, the Lutheran members reformers. who needed it. Members right? who needed it, yes. Yes, because uh, the, the some were, were drinking all of it and not allowing uh, the poor, the less, the less honorable of the, the church, receive it. That was that was sinful, much like uh, the Lutheran reformers when they they uh, condemned the church for only giving the Lord's Supper in one kind. Um, yeah, so don't so don't let anybody get you off track because the devil can quote the Bible too, and so they'll try to look high and mighty in quoting. Well, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. You can say, yeah, Paul also preached to the pagans and the Areopagus. Um, what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? Right, and you, you can go right. so. Right, right. And so if you if you f- go back to what Paul says about examining yourself, recognizing that you receive the Lord's Supper, that very body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, and how essential faith and confession is in all of that. And also you take, uh, for example, um, you go to Pentecost, where after Peter leads them to repentance, uh and then they are baptized, uh, they and their whole households, then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The Lord's Supper was very a big part of what they were doing from that point, but it was also part of a confession that they were making. It wasn't just to the breaking of bread, but also to the apostles' teaching. Right, and that's why it's listed first. Right. Right. There actually is like, un, it's this isn't just descriptive. It's actually normative when we're talking about like the teaching, right? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah baptism, it, it, teaching, koinonia, break, and then what is that koinonia? It's, or this fellowship, it's the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And then, and it's not a coincidence, for example, too, is, is that when Jesus gave the, the, the Great Commission, go make disciples by baptizing them, he didn't say make disciples by having table fellowship and, and giving them the Lord's Supper right away. That's different. Um, so uh, for next time, we'll talk about uh, what it could be. So you'll have to hold on for that. I didn't expect this to be a three-part series. <laughs> hey, well, I guess that ends our, our conversation today. Yep. Uh, by the way, listener... Uh, well, first of all, Vicar, can you tell the good people where they can get a hold of us if they want to ask us a question? Yeah, they can email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. They can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, And they can tweet us, or X at us, I guess now, um, at clericalheirsp. At us, bro. <laughs> P for podcast. Um <laughs> I, I mentioned that specifically because I did a different editing style today. Or not style. I did a little bit of a different edit. Uh, let me know what you guys thought, if you noticed even, uh, or if it was better or worse, because I changed how I did the audio mixing in this one. So Yes. By the way, we don't get a lot of feedback. So let us know. Let us yeah, know. If you, if you send us an email, we're going to read it. Right. And it's, especially, you know, to the void. I know a lot of you will have questions on Closed Communion. What are your questions? We'd like to answer them. So, all right. Uh, that is the end of our show. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. This is Vicker. And may you pivot and not plop. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.